Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 121st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that sees green when the Pro Tour is seeing red. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MGG Critic on Twitter. My co-host tonight is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon, James. How you doing? Very good, brother. How are you? All right. All right. Um, glad to be here. Looking forward to returning after a week off. Uh, our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, what's on the agenda this week? Well, James, this week we have a show in three segments. Segment one is our top movers. We'll talk about all of the cards that have moved in price this week. Segment two is our cards to watch. We'll talk about cards you and I think may see a rise in price. And segment three, our metagame week in review, we'll be talking about the Pro Tour uh, and getting what blood out of that stone we can. Uh, Let's start out segment one, our top movers, first card of the week, Mall Drifter from Lorwyn, foils from a little under five to right about nine-ish dollars for a clean double up. This is on the back of Maldrotha uh, and Dominaria, has been a very popular commander. I th- this is not the first card um, we've seen from Maldrotha in the last couple of weeks. Um, looks like the only one today, but probably will not be the only one uh, for the next next few weeks either. Um, Mall Drifter has had several printings, even in foil. So uh, I guess this is probably just jumping because it's the Lorwyn foil. It's the original one. Um, but in general, I don't love this as a... I think you should sell this, and I would not be eager to hold these. Last printing was what? Modern Masters 2015? Uh, looks like it. Last foil printing was 2015, and then the Modern Masters before that as well. And I'm sure we'll get it again. Definitely. Um, whenever they choose to bring back a Vogue would be my guess. Um, although, you know, Core probably doesn't want that mechanic. It's a little too tricky. Um, having seen the spoilers for this Core set, it looks like it's very much kind of in the old mode of uh, a less complex Core set. Um, but Foils are probably safe for a year. That's That would be my guess. So I'm not in a huge rush to unload them if I was holding. I think I've got a couple that I popped in some 2015 boxes that are probably sitting around in decks. Um, anything over 10 though, I think is totally fine for a foil uncommon. Uh, you getting 10 or paying 10? Getting 10. Yeah. Okay. I can agree with that. The other blue cards I'd have a, keep an eye out for here are void mage prodigy lets you counter spells over and over again. Um, as does Glenelendra Archmage in Maldrotha. Mm-hmm. Those are, uh, real obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, especially since Glenelandre gets you has persist right, so you're getting two um, counter counterings of basically two negates every time it cycles through the graveyard. Yeah, and Maldrotha can do some uh, pretty obnoxious stuff for sure. I got a chance to see it run up against my Atraxa deck last night, and it was doing just fine. <laughs> I don't doubt. I mean, any of those uh, bug value engines are not going to have any issues for the most part keeping up. 
they'll 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 get picked apart by commodex occasionally, but like they're just going to be so obnoxious to fight otherwise. The commentary that on Twitter that you don't uh, rely on your Maldrotha deck having Maldrotha in play is totally accurate, though. <laughs> yeah. Any six mana yeah. commander is is generally going to be tough to keep on the board past the point where they force you to sp- spend fourteen mana on it. Right, right, and uh, I mean, if you're playing just a, a Maldrotha, just as it essentially wants you to play a bug value deck, and if that's what you're playing, like you're not going to have any trouble, even without her uh, beating the snot out of people. But all right, what's our next card, James? Hacken Stormgald Scourge from Cold Snap. This is that weird uh, knight that I think you can only play out of your graveyard or something. Three seventy nine, so about four bucks to eight bucks, so about a hundred percent up. Um, I'm not sure why this is suddenly on the radar. Yeah, I wouldn't know either. It could have popped up in a modern deck uh, every now and then. Somebody tries to make this work with uh, like Crib Swap and Nameless Inversion. Uh, he's a really cool card, but has just never quite found a home um, in any competitive format. So, I mean, uh, uh, apparently at five out of Modern League, April thirteenth, in a black green. Uh, Jund looking deck. I mean, it's got most of the normal Jund cards. Grimflayer, Tarmogoyf, Kalidus, Tombstalker. It's a little odd, but for Liliana the Veil, Fatal Push, the Inquisition Thoughtseize Suite, etc. Um, but it was also running two copies of Hack on Stromgold Scourge. So I guess the idea here is um, that you're discarding it via Liliana of the Veil or Collective Brutality. And then bringing it back as just kind of a value engine. Mm-hmm. I that's something, I guess. It's weird. I have to think about this. I, I want to see this in action. <laughs> I, w- I wish you could just search up five O's and watch their league. That would be amazing. Is there any other night cards in the deck? No. Hmm. So it's just a three okay. mana three three. Like that's that you get. That after you pitch to Liliana, you get back. And if it dies, you lose. And if it dies, you lose two life. Huh. (laughs) Doesn't seem like it makes sense, but who am I to question a 5-0? Yeah, if any of our listeners want to shed some light on this, see if if we're missing something, please let us know. Um, After that is Crystal Quarry from Odyssey Non-Foils, 5 and change, up to about 13. This is for Joda, one of the other Dominaria commanders. This is the one that's uh, the five-color with Fist Suns built into it. Um, So Crystal Quarry just lets you turn five mana, any five mana into the right five mana. Uh, and those types of effects are going to be really valuable in that deck since it just does all of your mana fixing work for you um, and turns stuff like you know Gaius Cradle or Cabal Coffers, what have you, into uh, into doing more for you. Um, one of the f- one of the first cards that sold on MagicCards.shop, the new Slim Commerce site that I set up with some of my goodies um, that I'm going to be in- inviting you and other folks to participate in shortly. Um, was a foil Japanese uh, Cascading Cataracts, which is basically the same kind of card. Um, Jota is going to be one of the top three most popular new commanders from Dominaria, and they're naturally going to ru- want to run both versions of the five color lands. Hmm. Yeah, that is cool. Uh, so yeah, um, Crystal Quarry is at, at 13 bucks. I would be happy to take that. I mean, it's, we haven't seen this printed in a while. Is that correct? 
It's, yeah, it's uh, an Odyssey printing. Yeah, only Odyssey. Yeah, like you, you could definitely see this show up again. I, it could be a year or two, but at the same time, this is definitely not overpowered. Uh, so once Wizards decides it fits somewhere, it'll show up. It could show up in like a core set, and I, I almost think they could put this at, at uncommon. Like that. The, the only thing is reasonable. I think they're on the Cascade and Cataracts plan, though, now. I don't think we'll ever see Crystal Core because I think they'll just go with the new template and we'll see that again in, say, two or three years if we oh. get, like, a five-color a five color, color commander deck. Like, this fall, I'm pretty sure we're, we know that we're not getting five-color commanders. Um, so I suspect that this is one safe for a while, and these foils could end up, like, at 25 or 30 if Joda maintains some momentum through the summer. Uh, yeah, I suppose that, it, you know, Cascade and Cataracts is probably what they'll stick with. They still might shove Crystal Veins into a Commander deck, though, just to have it. See, I guess. Uh, what's after that? Oh, so just to double back on Hakon for a second. Um, oh. Part of the interaction is that Grim Flare, when it connects, right? look at the top three cards of your library, put any number of them into your graveyard and the rest back on top of your library in any order. So that's another way to get Hakon in the graveyard. And then, of course, once it's in the graveyard, it makes your Tarmogoyce ghost bigger. Uh, I, I guess. Still. <laughs> we'll have to leave it at that. It's that's all we got. stretch. The uh, Hallowed Fountain uh, Dissension Foils is the original printing of... Um, an important shock land uh, have gone from about a hundred bucks to 250 on the ask. Um, not necessarily what you're going to be getting for this card. Um, if you have, you know, a foil original copy, you don't need to be in a rush to sell it, but if you've got other copies lying around and no reason to be running the foil, you might want to consider trading, you know, two or three pieces like this out of your collection into something more major. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 250 bucks is pretty nuts. I don't know if anyone's going to get that. Uh, the art is kind of cool. It's definitely better than the new Hallowed Fountain, I think. Uh, but we're going to get another Hallowed Fountain, I guess. Um, people want to get their original arts ahead of Return the Return the Return to Ravnica. Um I don't know. I, I, this is just an expensive card. It's going to stay expensive. That's what it is. I don't know. I don't feel like there's a lot of what, guidance what you, we can provide on this one. What do you put the percentage chance that we're getting shocks again in Ravnica? 95. Seems like... I'm lower. Really? It's been so long since I printed them at this point, And they've really shown an interest in hammering modern lands. Like that's They don't want that to be the barrier. And because we know it's still guilds focused, if they don't give us the shocks, they have to give us a replacement. And it's not like shocks have any reason not to be printed so long as they're not in, uh, so long as they are not in standard with fetch lands, which if anything, just tells you, you're probably not getting fetches in standard in the next little while. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that the odds are lower then? Uh, Because they've shown some creativity in the last couple sets that if the same uh, personalities are working on Ravnica, they might look to surprise us. I, I, I'm of the impression that Ravnica is a little early in the rotation here. Um, I would have waited seven or eight years to go back to that particular place because I think that the, I actually have trouble differentiating between original Ravnica and, and Return. <laughs> I don't know about you. Um, the whole thing just kind of blends. Well, what are they at? What are the prices at? No, no, the year, the gap, the year gap. I, I, is, is it a six? 2012. So it's... So six years this fall. Six years. And the last one before that was like seven. Um, but I just, I don't see the rush to go back to Ravnica. It also seems like an odd, like an odd narrative 
leap that that's Nicol Bolas's end game that is that he wants to take control of Ravnica or whatever. So, um, I don't know. I, I put I still put it really high. Like I think it's seventy five or eighty percent that it's definitely shocks. Well, I will say that Wizards uh, loves to make me look like a fool. Um, and I mean, we were all really confident we were getting fetch lands in Battle for Zendikar, and then we didn't. So uh, it is very possible they won't put shocks in. Maybe they decide to put some other cool land in that they think would make modern interesting and have decided that we don't need shocks right now, that the prices are still low enough. So time will tell, I suppose. I mean, I said this when I talked to Cliff about it last week. Um, there's still RTR boxes sitting around. Like many LGSs have RTR in stock. <laughs> that you know, that magic was peaking at that time, but because of that, there was a massive print run, and there's still a lot of that product in the system. So I don't know. I I, I think it's weird to have a set that you can still that is still readily available be one of the ones you go back to. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is how much is Wizards factoring that into their decision? Mm-hmm. All right, so moving right along. Bringer of the Black Dawn is also a Jota card, um, as are several of the bringers. Um, this is a fifth Dawn card. Foil's going from about 8 bucks to, say, 20 That's like 140% gain if you happen to have one lying around. Pretty unlikely any of you were specking too deep on this unless you were um, on the ball when Jota was announced. But uh, certainly the kind of thing I'd be you know, fine flipping out of into something else if you're not planning on building Joda, since there's very other use, very little other use for this card or that I, cycle as a whole. I actually am pretty sure that I picked Bringer of the Black Dawn uh, not that long ago. Yeah, I did. Uh, show 117, uh, early May. I picked it for, to go from 7 to 20. Well, then it's your fault. <laughs> and I got, I want, it went 8 to 1950. I'm calling that <laughs> as having been accurate. <laughs> yep, looks good. Good pick, Travis. Uh, All right, so ten, Tenza Godo's Mall from Champions of Kamigawa. The foil's going from 5 to 12. You and I talked about this before the show. We don't know why this moved. No, I mean, it's the supply would be really low, right? Uh, because it's so old, there's only the one printing of it. Um, but other than that, yeah, I, I don't know. It's not even like we got a new equipment-based commander recently that would have caused people to go pick this up or any other reason to play Goto. Well, here's what the card says. It's a legendary artifact equipment, cost three, equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, but if it's legendary, it gets plus two, plus two, and if it's red, it has trample. So I guess this could be related to the new Battle Bond Warrior commander that's red. <laughs> Like, theoretically, I suppose, it does seem like a little bit of a stretch, but I guess. Five-color warriors? I, I just don't think Ugh. that... I, don't, I just don't think that's even going to break break top 20 oh. <laughs> com- commanders. No. All right. After that is City of Solitude from Visions, uh, non-foils, 10 to 25, a reserve list card. So another entry in a long line of reserveless cards people are picking off a uh, little surprise city of solitude took this long to get there simply because it's actually a playable card um it is let me double check the rule text on that that is the um yeah each player can only cast spells in their turn so this is like actually reasonably useful in commander uh locks people out from getting in your way on on uh, your turn while you're doing your your own stuff um and it sees play in legacy too it used to be played in how was it lands that this was used in 
So one of the, there was a legacy deck that used to run this, and I don't think it really sees much play anymore. But we do know it. Oh, Enchantress! It was an Enchantress card. That's what it was. Um, in any case, uh, like all reserve list cards, you know, if you can get the post spike price, it's probably worth it. But at the same time, it's unlikely to plummet. So. Yeah, I mean the Enchantress deck ones run in the uh, runs one in the main, one in the sideboard. Um, it's reserve list, like you said. It's got unique utility. Um, I, I wouldn't be unloading these now. I, I've had a lot of questions lately about I have such and such reserve list card that spiked recently. Should I unload it? If it's got even reasonable utility, I think they're all holds. Um, all. If something goes from something goes from like five or ten to twenty or thirty, it can just as easily get to hundred. Give it enough time, and you're going to have trouble getting into any other spec that's going to do better than those cards. Um, so like, I, I don't know if you saw this, but I picked up uh, a bunch of legends cards locally out of some random binder in a shop that I have never visited in the middle of Toronto, which blew my mind. Um, cause I thought I had this town pretty well mapped out and they were using prices from like six months ago or something in this binder. And I picked up like seven or $800 with a buy list for about 300. So, I mean, if I, if I go retail on that, I do even better, but be perfectly happy to ratchet it up to card kingdom or abu games um not to get into something random but to get into some buy list card that's you know likely to have even more upside from here um for instance when we get to picks we'll talk about how duels probably haven't hit their peak quite yet well uh first of all congratulations on your lightning striking for what must be the sixth or seventh time um <laughs> yeah yeah i mean like i agree that the, the you know they're generally not going you're generally not going to like hate having kept the reserve list cards uh, i guess it's just a question of like how fast some of them may may move type of thing um but yeah i mean if you've got if you've got personal debt at like 20 percent a year and you're not purely great at at picking specs or being disciplined then you know by all means go to cash and and pay off some debt um as Jeremy's fond of saying on uh, your other cast, uh, investing before you've handled your your debt load or gotten into a reasonable retirement plan is probably not where you want to be at. Yeah. Okay. Uh, after that is Mirror Retriever from Modern Masters. Foils a dollar and change up to three fifty. This is on the back of still on Quark uh, Clan Ironworks. Um, has been doing pretty well in Modern lately, and this is just people following uh, chasing that strategy. Um, I don't think you're really. I mean, like, no one made money off of a dollar fifty to three fifty jump on Mirror Retriever. So, yeah. no, but I, but I don't think I would be. I don't think I'd be looking to buy list at this point. I think this has more room to run because I this could get printed in theory almost anywhere. If you get an artifact flavored commander in the fall, Mirror Retriever could easily be in the deck. But again, not as a foil. I and I. It, it could make it into core twenty nineteen, but if it doesn't hit there, then I don't think you see it in Ravnica because it's not on theme there. Um. So I would keep an eye out for 2019 if I was holding any foils. If it doesn't hit there, then you've got plenty of time for it to appreciate. And I'd be looking to exit closer to 10 to even make it worth your time, right? Right, yeah. It's just, <laughs> as we, which is a good way to think about it. It's just not worth trying to sell them at this price. So you might as well hang on to it. Yeah. Uh, because if it gets reprinted, whatever, you didn't really lose anything. And if it doesn't, you could get paid. In my mind, cards under $5 are cards I should play with. Not so. Yeah. Yeah. I generally don't bother with cards that are that cheap. Um, it has to be. Unless you've got probably, binders and bind. Unless you've got binders of stuff sitting around that is wasting space that you should really be buy listing into something condensed so that you can track it more easily. Yeah. Yeah. 
in but yeah in general if it's like under five bucks it's just not worth the effort to get rid of the damn thing just hold on to it and hope it keeps going all right let me blow through a few here thawing glaciers from alliances a similarly um pressured uh reserve list card relatively unique effect moving from 18 to 45 um, you know, this used to be sub 10, so, you know, it pushed to 20 and here it is pushing again to 45, which is why you should hold this stuff. Shadowborn Apostle, both versions, uh, moved, uh, the foils from 350 or so to nine because Command Zone featured a Athreos deck in the hands of Wedge. So it goes to show the power of streamer hype. Um, Razorvin Hunter from Apocalypse, the foils going from a buck 50 to four bucks. I have no idea what that move's all about. Blue, red, merfolk. <laughs> anything recently that pushes that i mean not that i can think of was ixalan had merfolk in it so like maybe people are picking these up for their merfolk decks but in red deck uh, but none of the commanders that came out of that have red so you can't run this green right i don't know does it pair with a new yeah. uh what's her name the chick with the red hair it was in dominaria joira i don't think so because she's all about casting nope. instants and sorceries are returned she's about historic spells the um and i can't think of anything in battle bond that is into this. So skipping right along siege gang commander from scourge. This is the original foil printings going from 10 to 25 because it's a uh, featured in the uh, red, various red X decks in standard, including ones that were in the top eight and the final match of the pro tour today. Um, although it got stuck in the guy's hand. <laughs> Did you see the alpha strike off the, the top deck? Glory uh, no, I have been out all day long, right up until we recorded the cast. So I did not get to see any of the exciting action today. It's one of the better top decks of all time in Magic. He he. It looked like he was up two games. The guy battles back, makes it two two. Looks like the dude that was that was up two zero is going to lose it. Things are slipping away, and he top takes the Glorybringer, and LSV calls it out before everybody else does the math and says, "Oh no, wait, he wins." And then it looked like he forgot his Carry uh, Zev Skyship Raider trigger to bring the monkey into play, but that got resolved, and then boom, he won the game. I thought I heard. I did see a scuttlebutt on uh, on Twitter that he had essentially forgotten the trigger, but hadn't yet missed it, and then people were annoyed that there was a judge call to decide the Pro Tour. Yeah. It, it was a little anticlimactic, but uh, it was still a great top deck. Um, okay. Next, next one we have Peacekeeper from the Weatherlight, which is also a reserveless card. Again, this used to be sub ten; it, it had posted up in the like mid teens. Now here we have it going forty plus, at least on the ask. Um, whether you're going to get that or not remains to be seen, but I suspect that buy lists will be at least in the high twenties, um, relatively shortly if they're not already. Now, if you're a uh, a true OG like me, you actually remember. Peacekeeper. This is the second time this card has spiked because this used to be really expensive because they played it in. Oh God, what deck was it? I almost want to say it was a sideboard card against Merfolk in Legacy, uh, and Peacekeeper had quite a price tag on it, and then uh, faded away and hasn't been popular since. It looks like the trade-in buy list on Card Kingdom is about twenty bucks right now, so oh, still got a little really ways good. to go to make it to make it particularly interesting. Yeah, but if you had a bunch of these from back when it was good and got grumpy and never let them go, well, congratulations, <laughs> you got paid for dragging do, your feet. Do you have a, such a stack? Uh, I don't. I don't have a stack. I might have some number of them, but I don't think I have a stack. Yeah, I figure I have some tucked away in just like a random box of white cards that don't fit anywhere. Yeah. 
All right. So Bramblewood Paragon from Morning Tide foils going from four bucks to eleven dollars. That's a warrior that gives warrior bonuses, right? So that's probably five color warriors. Uh, Bramblewood Paragon. Yeah, this one's been popular in uh, yeah five color warriors for sure. Uh, the game day promo on that is pretty cool too. It's one of the full arts. Um, kind of surprisingly expensive. People are like don't even realize it's a card. Uh, so I, I don't have the inventory in front of me, but that might actually be uh, a spec to keep your eye on too. You know what's weird about that extended art promo? It's exactly the same art zoomed in. Yes. Yeah. The rules <laughs> back then one. on promos was uh was all over the place. It's it's really nice art actually. Jim Murray did a real good job. Um mm-hmm. extreme levels of detail. Got that like really uh, come hither look on his face. Yeah, I don't know if it's a girl or a guy. It's it's got boobs, so I'm assuming it's it's got the boob armor, so I'm assuming it's a female elf. Yeah. Um, each other warrior creature you control comes into play with an additional plus one plus one counter on it so it makes all your warriors bigger and then each creature you control with plus one plus one has trample which is good with that new five color uh, commander whose name I should look up <laughs> uh, okay so then after Bramblewood Paragon Namada Grove Guardian from Plane Shift foils 25 to 70 uh, is she um, reserve list she's not reserve list uh, but it's no. still an original art foil so that really doesn't matter but that's definitely uh, Slimefoot who has also been a very popular commander from Dominaria Dominaria really brought several good commanders so this price is probably very sticky because it's an original art foil and it doesn't matter what they print you're not going to see it again yeah and it's the kind of card I could easily sh- that could easily show up in the next you know token based green commander deck as a non-foil yeah in which case the foils get even more room to breathe yep exactly which like puts more copies in people's decks and hands and reminds them that it's a card but they still don't have the foil and if they want the foil they gotta buy that one exactly oh. all right so leonine leonin abunus from mirrodin foils going from seven to 24 i'm not aware of anything that uh that caused that to pop other than it being old? Um, probably. I know that we had, I had talked about it back when uh, the cat deck was spoiled um, last year yep. because I figured there'd probably be an artifact or something. So like you might've bought some of these at that point in time. Uh, and then, and then it didn't spike and then you stuck them in your box of shame, kind of grumpy. And now congratulations again. Uh, just goes to show between Leon and Arbus, Abunus and Peacekeeper just goes to show you should never sell your old specs. You should just stick them away and uh, refuse, <laughs> refuse to admit defeat on these. Um, but, but yeah, the, the box, of, the box of shame eventually pays off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so there you go. Um, I, I don't know of anything either that would have caused this to jump. Not today. Right. What's next on the list? Bottled Cloister from Ravnica, foil 6 to 20. This is a one of in on the sideboard, I think, of a blue-red prison deck in modern that won an SCG Classic. Props to the O-N-E won an SCG Classic in our show notes right now. Um, uh, it, it has a really interesting interaction with uh, Ensnaring Bridge because you have to exile your hand during your opponent's turn. So you have no cards in play on their no cards in your hand on their turn so they can't attack you through your staring bridge at all but then on your turn you get all of those cards back plus you draw an extra card so basically you you draw two cards a turn at the expense of not excuse me having a hand during your opponent's turn so it's a really cool way to kind of get around and staring bridges uh drawback that the the symmetry on that and i 
actually think there might might be room to explore that in modern, like trying to push that interaction harder where you are you are actually attacking with your creatures um, because you've got several cards in hand, uh, but then you don't have any, so you can't be attacked with a Sarin Bridge. In any case, uh, original printing from Ravnica, no one's ever paid any attention at all to the card before. So to see it suddenly show up anywhere in a tournament, it's not surprising that the, the price would go wild because it's a very rich vein. Um, I did have somebody message me on Twitter asking me if it was worth buying copies out. Um, I think I, we, James and I both advised research before making that decision because you know neither of us wanted to commit to that. Um, maybe that guy did it. Maybe somebody else did. In any case, if you can get 20 bucks for them, I would absolutely take it. Uh, because it is kind of nifty, but it's a long shot for this to become a competitive staple. These complex combo decks are de- are almost always fringe, even when they're great, because yeah. they only appeal to a certain subsegment of players. So when it's hot and a couple of articles or videos have come out um, that mention the card, that's really what you want to sell into. Because if, P- if the format just moves past it four weeks later, you may get stuck with three or four copies that take forever to unload. Yeah. Yep. Um. After that is Heart Warden, Foils from Urza's Destiny, 10 to 35. Uh, Popper Elf, Elf Bomb. Is the name of the deck Elf Bomb? Is that it? Yeah. Okay. So Popper Elf Bomb, uh, whatever that may or may not be, I guess. But there so you go. It's so basic, it's basically Birchlore Rangers, Elvish Mystics, Findhorn Elves, Llanowar Elves, Nettle Sentinel, Quirin Ranger, Priest of Titania, Sylvan Ranger, Wellwisher, Llanowar Sentinel, and T- Timberwatch Elf with Distant Melody, <laughs> which is a blue card that reads, choose a creature type, draw a card for each permanent you control of that type. So it's Elf Ball, I guess, because you're just pouring your entire hand of elves on the table and hoping that gets there. Okay. Uh, I allow it. And then I guess you push it through with Timberwatch Elf, which is actually, that was nasty in draft. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, that card was absolutely ludicrous. It, it was, it made attacking and blocking, made blocking basically impossible. Uh, yeah, that card was, was a pain in the ass. Yeah, that was Legion's draft. That was nasty, nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so Camp. Uh, Cambal Console of Allocation from Kaladesh. The foils moving from $3 to 11 This was my pick last week. So congrats if you got in on that. Um, just Kaladesh foil that wasn't being propped up by standard, but rather by uh, modern in EDH and legacy play and death and taxes and, and various um, builds in, in Commander. Um, not the kind of card you're going to see get reprinted for several years. So I'm not even in, in a rush to unload them at this level. I think I'd be happy to wait and see if they can push 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, good plan. Um, I, yeah, and I actually talked about this in, uh, oh, yeah, okay, never mind. Sorry. Go ahead. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Fiery Gambit from Mirrodin, moving from $3 to $10 on the back of the coin flip commanders that were revealed for Battle Bond. Um, so suddenly a bunch of coin flip cards that were total bulk are now immediately relevant because they, the, these uh, new commanders absolutely want all of them in the deck. Um, the next one's got me a little puzzled as well. Aura Samet Guardian is one of those weird cards in Future Sight where if you discard additional copies of the card from your hand, you get an additional benefit. Um, people have almost never been able to find any kind of way to make that work. <laughs> um and I'm not aware of any new thing with Oris, so I'm just going to assume that that's an old foil that popped from three bucks to fifteen in theory. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine who really needs this card or would want this card. 
after that, we've got Dizzy Spell from Ravnica. Foils from a three and change to 20 bucks, apparently. Uh, but it's it's a tutor in Popper. I, uh, I, you know, the Popper spells have proven stickier than I guess I would have expected uh, initially. So I would anticipate this mostly keeping that price of 20 bucks. Uh, and it is transmute. So unlikely to see this show up again in the near future. Uh, it was kind of a weird mechanic, but I guess we do have Ravnica coming back. So maybe they'll bring it back. We didn't see transmute and return to Ravnica, but maybe I guess this is all I can say, but just remember that if this gets reprinted, it's getting reprinted at common and uh, the foils will get crushed. Yeah. I'd be surprised if we get all new mechanics for the guilds. It's pretty tough to mine that vein. I'll be impressed if they pull that off. Oh, they didn't do it for um, return the Ravnica either. I don't think, right. They had a couple that were returned, returned. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so tricky. The, um, the design space seems from my, you know, non-professional eye to be pretty, pretty constrained, but I guess we'll see what we see, what, what comes to the forefront in the fall. Mm -hmm. I think we're only getting five guilds to start with, I believe. Uh, yeah, it should be five and five. And then we get everything back out. You know, then the third set is whatever they have want it to be. Yeah, I'm guessing somebody says it's like going to Nicol Bolas's home plane briefly or something like oh. fighting in his mindscape plane or something. It could be, be interesting. So it's, so it's not like a traditional third set. It's still connected narratively, but doesn't necessarily happen on Ravnica or maybe it's a transformed Ravnica. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose. Be kind of nifty. Like becomes Nicol Bolas's throne world or whatever. Sure. Um, guess we'll see how that plays out but yeah the, you see the dizzy spell show up in the like tireless tribe decks that pump up tireless tribe to some ridiculous level and then kill you in a one shot um the final spell on the list is, or card on the list is glint hawk from scars of mirrodin foils going from a dollar to six dollars this is on the back of popper white weenie decks so popper taking the first and second slots this week wow uh what's going on like what? What is that? <laughs> I guess it's easy for popper cards to 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 spike really hard because they generally start very low prices. Yeah, those are commons, and and some of these are are unique enough that they're not just gonna they're not easy to just throw in somewhere. It's not like shock that could show up almost anywhere. Um, things like transmute and metalcraft are you know require very specific sets to reprint. Mm-hmm. I, it's kind of weird. Like I wouldn't really expect. Uh, it's it's. Let me rephrase that. We're at the time of year where you don't see a lot of price increases. Generally, the market kind of declines through the summer, but there's still obvious. I still think going to be enough individual action on cards that, despite an overall like five to fifteen percent, five to ten percent decrease in the overall index, you'll see plenty of individual stuff spiking. It's highly unlikely to be standard cards. It's probably going to be cards aren't really for constructed formats or like it might be a couple commander cards. You're not going to see standard. You probably won't see much of modern legacy. You'll see like reserve list cards and like maybe a couple cube cards type of thing. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think this little magic's in a better spot now than it was three months ago. Um, when people were upset about M25 um, Dominaria and Battlebond are both well-received, so that's going to keep um, a little bit more momentum heading into the summer than would be normal. However, Standard, you know, as we're going to talk about shortly, Standard is is relatively diverse, but the Pro Tour didn't didn't turn out 
in the way that you would want from a PR perspective. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds and whether it disincents people from playing the, the core format of the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move on with our lives here. Uh, segment two, card swatch. Why don't you get us started? Mox Amber, which was pre-ordering over $40, is down to like 10 bucks, and it is almost certainly going to get lower. I think you're going to get like 6 to $8 Mox Ambers shortly here when supply catches up and overwhelms demand, um, especially if, if pressure lets off standard because people figure it's solved. And given that we're headed right into summer here and another Battle Bonds out distracting people for a couple weeks and then as additional dominary supply uh finally catches up and starts to fill up shelves again then we get core 2019 and then give it enough time through the summer and we're up to the ravnica set so mox amber is under 10 bucks i add a a coupon or a summer sale or something to that and if you can get six dollar mox ambers for the long term i'm i'm (laughs) i'm on board yeah i'm right there with you i know both of us have been uh excited for this card um, to drop and we were both like okay don't be good don't be good yet let us give us an a window of opportunity and i think um it's going to be about as good as it's going to get here in the next month or so uh and i will be very interested in seeing if i can snag cheap copies at that point in time the, the, don't get me wrong the card is so much worse than people some people thought it was um but there's no way it stays like gets to bulk or stays super low forever because it's open-ended synergy. It it essentially, it, it's just as powerful as the other moxes if your deck can consistently get it to generate mana on the first and second or second and third turns. If you can't get it turned on inside that space, then it's never going to take off in modern, obviously, because many games are over by turn four there or, or are determinant by turn four. Um, but there's also so there's there's some backup play here in Commander because like for instance I'm definitely slotting one of these into my Atraxa deck. I mean, I've got enough fast mana that I can get a Planeswalker down relatively consistently on turns three or four. At which point the Mox Amber turns on and it's just like a free extra land drop to keep ramping me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that these are. It's extremely unlikely that these won't become a real thing at some point. Right, like it could be a little while, but I do definitely think we're going to get there. It's the kind of spec where you could end up putting these in the box of shame three years from now. Sam Black comes to the table with some something wacky that like top eights a tournament but doesn't win, um, and these get a moment. Yeah, um, it's not the kind of thing that I can see them easily reprinting because it has a very specific theme, right? Like if you you can't print it into any set that doesn't have a bunch of legendary permanents because otherwise it can't make anything. Yes, it would be very awkward without that. You'd have to go back to Kamigawa, basically. Right. So this is you know the the not the kind of card I think you're gonna you're very likely to get a chance to flip profitably in the short to midterm. It's definitely a long term play. So whether or not you're interested in that depends on what your you know whether you have better specs in the forefront um, of your opportunity basket. And, you know, where what your discipline level and an asset pool looks like. But <laughs> it's called Mox. It's got fantastic art. I'm still looking for the Russian foils to come down, say, under 70 or 80 bucks. And it looks like the vendors on eBay are starting to get a little antsy with how the priced, prices have been trending on these. Um, so, yeah, I, it's not the kind of thing I think you want to make a priority. Um, but 
I'll, I'll buy at least 12 copies this summer at some point. I'm sure of it. Now, I know some of our listeners may be a little worried about the supply because Dominaria is getting cracked pretty heavy because it's a popular set. Does that give you any mm-hmm. pause? It means I'm not in a rush. Like lowest price today is at 10. I put um, the target price here at eight. And I think that's like eight plus a coupon. If you can get a play set on eBay for 30 bucks and then get 30% off or 25% off or something or get some like a 10 or 12% eBay bucks kickback. Um, I don't think you need to feel bad about that because if it ever hits 20 or 30, even if it takes a couple of years, that's still a very reasonable return. Okay. Okay. Uh, my first pick this week is uh, it was going to be a Sidisi, uh, the black one that is a tutor. And I wrote all the numbers into the spreadsheet and then looked at last week and you had picked the exact same card at the same numbers. So I, I mean, if you listened, if you listened to your own podcast, you would have known. I, I, whatever, <laughs> whatever. You know, it's you're like, fun. you're like the, Cor- you're like the Corbin of MDG fast. Fighting. I was going to say, I remember before we started this, Corbin said he never listened to brainstorm brewery. I'm like, why would you not listen? Like, wouldn't you be so curious? And then we started recording this and I just instantly never listen. Um, Cliff and I always make sure we talk about you for a few minutes since we know you're never you're never going to listen to what we said. That's the best way to make sure I don't hear about you speaking poorly of me is to do it here on this cast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so instead, I went with Sheldred Whispering One, another black legendary creature, uh, extremely popular card in Commander. I'm looking at the foils. I'm looking at the promo foils, actually. Currently, uh, I think the cheapest copy I saw was $11. Might be able to score them a little cheaper if you look hard. Um, but the uh, pack foils are already like $13, $14, $15 um, where you can find them. And even Iconic Masters, the supply is quite low on foils from Iconic Masters. Uh, so I'm not, I don't think Iconic Masters cards are necessarily in a spot where we, we need to be buying them right now. But I, we're not adding more inventory to that at the moment. Um, I don't know how big that print run was either, but I don't know uh, how often people were going back to the well to obtain more. So I don't have a good sense of that, but independent of that, the promo has different art. Uh, it's very old. It was back from when new Phyrexia came out. Um, it's a little cheaper than the pack foils. Uh, and I think that the pack foils are getting cl- the new Phyrexia pack foils, I think are like 30 or $35. Um, and the iconic masters ones are like 15 to 20. So the promo seemed like they could be moving up into the 20 higher twenties pretty easily, uh, you know, with a little bit more time. Yeah. This one's rock solid. There's, there's actually copy foil copies from iconic masters as low as 10, 25, um, on TCG. But what I love about this is that even though the supply is not super shallow, there's a pretty steep ramp. Like you get up to 15 pretty quick after, but the first 10 sellers or show, uh, 10 sellers or so and then from there you're on to 20 and then you know even like sellers trying to get 30 or 35 so what that tells me is that a you know it's probably not going to see a reprint for at least two three four years certainly not in foil and that's going to be plenty of time for this mature from a 20 dollars i mean a 10 dollars spec or a 12 dollars spec up into a 25 dollars spec yeah the worst thing you could do is pick this up for yourself and just stash it uh and then you know in a you know you couple months a year or two suddenly the card that you bought and you're playing with is now worth a bunch more than it was um and you kind of make it work for you in that way well, i mean iconic masters buy list is a dollar 50 higher than the lowest seller on tcg so what does that tell you <laughs> somebody didn't do any research before they listed their card well, i mean i i see this a lot with abu and card kingdom like they'll they'll have aggressive 
prices on things that they are essentially speculating on. They're doing the same thing we are. They, their buyers are very educated. They have excellent access to data and they know how fat, how many copies of a card they sell and what they can justify stocking now to sell through six months, 12 months down the road. Um, still within a window of opportunity that lets them flip over inventory relatively quickly, but make still make a good profit. So mm-hmm. if they feel that confident about the card on the buy list, you don't really need to worry about picking them up, especially under $12, since you know you've got an auto out. Yep. Okay. Uh, what uh, what have you got next for us? So can you believe I'm going to tell people here that Underground C at 600 US a piece is probably a buy for a 50% gain and that within say a year maybe a year and a half it's going to be a pretty solid $900 card uh you shut your mouth this is awful (laughs) i don't want to hear it look at the inventory left on tcg and ebay in that price range there are copies available close to 600 quite a few more closer to seven and then once those dry up you're talking 800, 900, depending on, you know, who's fudging condition and what have you. Um, people need to understand that as legacy is not, you know, as supported as it once was. Um, and so you could argue that maybe demand will fade in that format um, because it's just it's pricing more and more people out of the format and the tournament organizers aren't running additional tournaments. There are still thriving legacy pockets of legacy communities here and there all over the world. Um, and a lot of these people that are already pretty deep into the format have no reason to exit because they can, they still have enough people to play against and uh, enough regularly scheduled tournaments that they can find a game. But the thing is that as that demand profile from legacy maybe shrinks a bit, EDH doesn't go anywhere. And EDH is much, much bigger, more important format, um, especially in North America. And duels are still the best lands you can have in that format. And the price of all available copies is being pulled up. So we're even seeing like collector edition, international edition copies of duels pulled up as we predicted months ago. Um, as people start to, you know, realize that, you know, you can get those black border duels for a few hundred bucks less than now the white border duels from revised. And, you know, especially the ones that are like, underground C that are blue duels that are played in every format that allows them. Um, Collectors want them. Speculators want them. You know, the demand profile is as strong as you could possibly imagine um, for cards that old. I just don't see what stops the momentum here from 600 to 900. We are already past the point of no return. And once you get up to say something like 2000, I think your demand profile slows a lot because it's not the kind of thing that you can like impulse purchase on payday necessarily anymore. But anything s- sub a thousand, I think you can easily push up to four digits. Uh, as distressing as it is to say, uh, if only because I sold two of them like six months ago for much less than this, you're probably not wrong. Um, we've seen a frenzy of activity around all of these cards. Uh, all signs indicate that the duels were, I guess, not underpriced, but there's a level of demand there that didn't wasn't apparent. Um, you know, it's odd because these remained pretty stagnant for quite a while. There wasn't an, a, a lot of movement on most of the revised duels, which is what finally got me to, to sell off a bunch of mine. Um, but then this latest round of reserve list buyouts happened or started occurring back uh, earlier this year. Was it February or something like that? And a lot of those prices were sticking. And I know you and I were a little skeptical at first, but 
it seems to have been come, become the standard that you know these get bought out and then but they start selling for the new prices. Uh, and then, you know, when Tabernacles was selling was selling at over $3,000 for played copies, it was like, okay, everything is on the table now. And I know I talked about buying moxes, uh, any unlimited moxes under two grand were probably a were slam dunk. Um, and now the duels are catching up, you know, in Badlands, even Badlands, Plateau, that type of thing. So Underground Sea being the most in-demand duel, whether it should be or not, it is. Uh, and unless we see... I guess I don't know what conditions would have to be true to see the dual lands demand slack off really hard. Um, I guess if you see, if you saw like a banning that like diminished player interest in the format, but like, I don't know what that would be. Like even if they got rid of death rate shaman, I don't think that matters. I'm not even sure legacy matters at all because I don't think it's legacy players that are, that are, fulfilling the majority of this demand anymore i think it's it's been a lot of speculators and vendors stocking them away knowing they're going to get a better price down the road um we know that crypto has factored in to some of the purchases of the most important reserve list cards throughout the last year um and there's also the guys like my dad that are just you know completing sets and and are realizing that in this hype cycle that it's you know now or never and you know, then you have the commander players, not, you know, some commander players only have $100 decks, but plenty of commander players have five to $10,000 decks. And um, especially if you're using unified sleeves across all your decks, like you probably should be, um, you can start, you know, buy a duel once and transfer it between four or five different commanders and get quite a lot of utility out of it long term. Mm-hmm. Especially when you know you can buy list it for cl- more than you paid for it. Yeah, the, the buy list being that high is nuts. Um. Okay, any more to stand underground C or should I hop on to my next one? Well, I think the other point here is that's related is that one of the things that supports like movement and things like Savannah and Plateau and Scrubland, which were, you know, maligned duels for many, many years that were essentially untouchable since they didn't seem to ever make any significant movement, is that in Commander, you know, I ran the math. If you look at the top uh, 10 or 20 commanders, we talked about this, I think, once before, um, they're all relatively even in terms of color representation. So that suggests that if the, at least the EDH portion of the demand should not favor underground C over, say, plateau. Um, uh, green and blue are generally considered the best colors in Commander, but um, they tend to be they can be paired with any any color depending on which commander you're talking about. And we now have several prominent five color commanders, and and so I think that the duels that are at the lower end of the spectrum still probably have some room to grow as well. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair a fair way to think about it. Is that uh, the the best money might not even be in underground sea and uh, uh, tundra. It might be in plateau, more you know, badlands and uh, scrubland and those types of ones where there's been less play historically uh, where you were concerned with legacy and constructed formats, but as the player demand for these is shifting towards commander uh, where it's much more balanced, they become uh, more appealing. Better margins. All right. What's your other pick this week? Uh, My other pick this week is animate dead from eternal masters. I'm looking at the foils specifically uh, around five bucks um, four fifty. In fact, I think at the moment Uh, and it is the, there's only two foils for this right now. The other one is from uh, what is that other version? Uh, Premium. It's Graveborn. Series. That's what it was. Graveborn. 
Gradborn. Yeah, so yeah. there's only the one other foil. Uh, it's that awful foiling. There's also not that many because Gradborn wasn't that huge of a print run, I don't believe. Um, but you can pick these up at four or five bucks. It's the only pack foil that exists. It's still pretty cool. Uh, and I think, you know, supply is on the lower side and you can probably ride this well over $10, you know, 15, I possibly even 20. It's one of the most, it's an extremely popular black card in EDH according to EDH. Track. It is, uh, let's see, it is uh, three. So it looks like it's probably about the 15th or so most popular enchantment in the format. Um, and I mean, by color, let's see, by, if we go to black animate dead, it is probably like, yeah, about the 12th or 13th most popular black card in the in commander so it's a really popular edh card um we just got a packed foil first one we've ever had uh who knows when we'll get another one because they could keep reprinting it as a um in commander sets without foils uh so given how popular this is supply is low uh basically the only good foil i think this has got a good rise to go this is nice in Meldrotha, right like this is i pulled the foil japanese one that i pulled out of my box um, and put it right in there because when the creature and this dies, they both go to the graveyard. They're not exiled, right? So then both of them can be brought back and you can put this on something else. Uh, yeah, there is no exile on this card. So that is correct. So you can just animate something and this is out of anybody's graveyard. So you can, yes. you're, you're animating your best target. They deal with it, steal it back, whatever. And then you, this goes to the graveyard and you just get to cast it again off Maldrotha and do it and do nasty things over and over again. So auto include, low supply, slam dunk, maybe Eternal Masters in t- 2 in 2019? Yeah, like possibly. I mean, I'm not discounting, discounting that. But I think I think we can both agree you almost certainly get 6 to 12 months on this. They're not printing this card ever in the no, standard. And I, honestly, they might not even print this in a master set just because, well, I guess in another master set or... I don't know. This card seems really tough to print because it is just such a mess of rules text. Like you have to be careful where you put this. Yeah. The templating is, is not ideal. And this is the new template. If you can believe that is, it is awkward to say the least. I mean, it's a, it's a relatively simple card, but the templating is just atrocious. Yeah, It's it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting example of how uh, sometimes the concept of a magic card is very, uh, elegant, but uh, not graceful at all when converted to a rule system. Because the funny thing is, you read all you read this wall of text, and then it changes nothing about how, what your intent was about how you were going to play the card. No. And it's it's like it's one of those cards where it's like someone's like, "What does this do?" It's like, "Put the card down. Don't read it. I will tell you because that will go much much faster, and you'll understand it better if I just tell you what it does." Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So I like that one. That one's a good one. Um, I think I'll pick up a few of those myself. Um, my last pick is the uh, Junior Super Series promo version of City of Brass from years ago. Um, Foil City of Brass's 7th, 8th edition, this version, um, are all a pretty big deal. Um, and you're going to have trouble finding copies of this um, because the market is relatively like shallow at this point. Even in Europe, it's pretty tough. I had some earmarked over there um, on MKM for like 35 euro, but they're all gone a few weeks later, and I forgot to pull the trigger. Um, so now you're stuck getting them for closer to like $80, $90 US, and I think that you're looking to sell, hold on to those for a year or two, throw them in your EDH deck, and then yank them out when they're, say, $140, $150, and sell them back through to a buy list. 
Yeah, this price is pretty nuts. And City of Brass has been popular, more popular than I guess I would have expected for a while now. Um, Monica Influence too. I don't, I don't really get it, but whatever. People play the cards, so that's fine. Uh, so this seems like it could take a little while to get paid off, possibly. Uh, but you'll almost certainly find buyers at whatever dumb price this ends up at. You can pretty much assume that the, most of this to be had, unlike Underground Sea, isn't speculators. It's going into the hands of EDH players. And the thing about them is those guys, like this community is black, is a black hole. Like really great promo versions of cards go in that, that fit in like any deck almost. Um, certainly any multicolored deck are just going to get sucked into that person's collection and never exit again. Because even if they switch from, say, a Traxita Moldratha, they're just going to pull that card out and transfer it right over. It's not like they're going to buy list it back. Because if you get a warrior-specific card and you get bored of your warrior commander, then you, you might buy list that. But you're not going to sell the, the essential staples that fit everywhere. You don't get rid of your foil cyclonic rift once you do, as long as you have at least one blue commander deck left. Yeah, I would uh, be curious to know kind of what the the way that most players get rid of their cards. Um, I feel like that's something that I, I don't have a great insight on. And I would be curious to know more about is like, how do these cards re-enter the market? Um, Cause I know how I sell cards, but I'm not a normal player. Uh, but I guess that's a conversation for another day. I, I have a, a relatively easy answer to that question. They don't. Like in in all of the in in all of the arguments that we've gotten into, well, you not you because you don't bother, um, but that many of us get into on social media about the reserve list and about you know why magic prices um, are high on key cards um, and tend to not be permanently subverted by reprints. Um, the number one factor that no one ever talks about is definitely that players do not optimize their collection. But cards would be so much cheaper across the board if every player that had cards that they weren't using and weren't going to use for you know the next year or so would just unload those cards into the market and and add fresh supply. <laughs> but because ninety five percent plus of all cards get sucked into collections and never exit, it makes the mar- market much more narrow than it should be. And you can see this in something like say Goblin Chain Whirler, like they pr- printed hundreds of thousands of copies of that card. But there was only like a thousand listed on TCG player and probably similar on eBay. And then the card does really well at the Pro Tour this weekend and it drains by like 60%. And now you're talking about hundreds of copies left in the marketplace. Price spikes a bit as a result. But there are way, way more chain whirlers out there that are not being used in standard decks that could re-enter the market and bring the price down. So you think that on a on a on a time scale the amount of available cards from any given set is constantly decreasing like pick, pick a yeah. set the amount of total cards on on the market is every day getting less and less for that set i i think attrition is the the number one factor in card prices that no one talks about that as they might print millions of a set some total across all the cards in the set but only thousands are ever available in the market because so few players bother to sell into the market. And when I think about my behavior, say, before six years ago, when I first got interested in MTG Finance seriously, um, the 10 years prior to that, I was buying you know one to three boxes of every set that came out, quietly building decks and fooling around with friends and whatever, occasionally hitting up my LGS, but I never sold to a buy list. I never sold to a store. I I sold I did a couple of deals here and there, like bought and sold a Black Lotus at one point and did a few other th- interesting things with my dad um, to help him build out parts of his collection. But 
there are so many more players like that than there are players like us now. You know, people that are fully invested in the finance side of it and deal with that every day. And, and that's also where a lot of the tension comes from between the, the mainstream part of the magic community and the finance part is that there are so many people that want to play magic, but don't want to think about finance. They don't enjoy that part of the game. For, for them, that's not part of the meta, the way that we have embraced it. And so it's natural that when when um, their experience is lessened by other people embracing that, that's going to create tension. Hmm. I suppose that's not unreasonable. Um, I mean, the math backs it up. All you got to do is pick any card, take it, do a rough estimate of its print run, and then, which is pretty relatively easy. I mean, you can't, you don't, none of us know the exact numbers on modern print runs, but you know that something, you know, cards aren't printed in the hundreds and thousands. They're definitely printed in the tens of thousands, hundreds and thousands, or millions, depending on rarity and set. And then compare that to the number of available copies across all major platforms. So take the top 20 vendors, TCG, eBay, and MKM, and combine all of their inventory on whatever card you want to name, Karn, Scion, Adversa, for instance. You would struggle to get to, say, 500 copies total of this recently printed Mythic. Well, they didn't print 500 copies, right? They printed tens of thousands. So where are they? They're in collections. Well, okay. So I mean, I've got a couple of thoughts because like, I think you could make a point that standards different like you could talk or not i wouldn't say different but we're not interested in the behavior of standard cards we're interested more in the behavior of cards that are like at least five years old probably 10 years old um because those have a very different play pattern on uh, and, and standard cards tend to be very liquid people buy standard cards and they sell them because they don't need them anymore um but their their utility to that person is very different um, they're not perceived as being a cl- an investment piece, whereas something like your JSS City of Brass is. So I guess I guess maybe that maybe I'm more interested in in that in that angle because Carns are players like instinctually are going to buy and sell Carns and they're okay with that. But you're unlikely to buy and sell City of Brasses, JSS City of Brasses. You're going to buy one, but like who is selling that card? Right? You're you're thinking about that card differently than you do a Karn or a Teferi or a Lyra. Uh, I think that's one angle. And I'm not saying you're, and I, I do agree. There's still definitely attrition going on, but like some of these have to reenter the market, right? Like somebody is selling these because if that were the case, they would get bought out and then you would just never see them again. So it's like when those do reenter the market, how is that happening? Is it one guy? Is it, is it just players deciding that it's valuable enough and now they want to go get their money out? their money out of it or is it coming from players deciding to get out of magic and selling their entire collection and then that collection getting pieced out and making it to the market that way i guess that's kind of what i'm thinking about because some of these have to hit the market even if there's a constant attrition um and it's just what is the channel for those where's the channel for those investment cards it's all of you it's all the above like it's all the things you said and more it's you know any any of the reasons we've ever people have ever tried to sell their collection to us it's, it's those reasons. Like they are switching decks, they're switching commanders, they are, you know, fading out of magic for a while, looking to return, they got bills to pay, and they're about to have a kid, they're switching jobs or moving and they want to unload a big part of the collection, or they just realize they're overwhelmed, they got too much space taken up by their stuff, they've got a significant other that came into their lives, all of those reasons. And the methodology by which they re-enter the market are, you know, you just got to track where the vendors are at. So, I mean, one of the things people, a lot of people don't realize is that vendors go to GPs not primarily to sell cards but to buy cards like yeah they, they want to sell but most they bring piles and pile like tens of thousands of dollars because they need to that's their one of their best ways to get inventory at 
buy list rate, which guarantees a future margin. Um, so long as they're judicious about what they buy. Um, and so we know that online buy lists and tournament local buy lists and then buy lists at your local LGS are, are the primary reentry points. More ambitious players that are more fully invested on the finance side may have TCG player accounts or eBay accounts. They may post Twitter sales, et cetera. And, you know, we know in terms of the relative prominence of those various platforms, including Facebook groups and, and, and Craigslist and, and what have you, um, that there are a lot of different things going on. But that some total, when we look at all of those platforms together and all of the buy list opportunities and everything, there are still, say, for JSS City of Brasses, for every four copies that get put back into the supply, 10 are getting bought up. And so when you see a card hit a tipping point and start to really ratchet up its price, it's because demand is outpacing supply to at whatever ratio necessitates that price movement. Hmm. Congratulations on your sale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always nice to hear that sound in my phone. And then you look down and it's not the card you wanted to sell. It's some other crummier one. You're like, God oh, damn it. Oh, uh, it's $8. What? Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I knew it. That's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I try not to post anything under 10, so I'm not disappointed like that. But yeah. Um, yeah. So I think all of those picks are pretty solid this week. I will not be surprised if they make folks some money. I'd say the biggest long shot there is Mox Amber. Both of your picks look rock solid. Underground Sea is definitely a now uh, or never kind of card. And JSS City of Brass is not something I expect them to reprint as a promo since Mana Confluence got an expedition and fills that role pretty neatly for the time being. I mean, it doesn't even matter what they do with City Brass, right? Like, you're not going to get the JSS one back. Yeah, that's just not. And, and, and they and they are they are nice looking. Uh, all right, so let's dive into the somewhat disappointing Pro Tour Dominaria, um, which had quite a few great games and moments. Like, I think the coverage was actually overall fairly enjoyable. Congrats to our new Pro Tour champion. Uh, it wasn't a player I recognized. His name is Wyatt Darby. It's only the second pro tour he's ever played in, but the guy was cold as ice in the top eight. He had to face down Owen Turtenwald in the semifinals. Um, a lot of good play this tournament, but I don't think anybody's too excited about how the dominance of Goblin Chain Whirler turned out. Wyatt Darby. <laughs> it is Wyatt Darby. Uh, yeah, this top eight is... Uh miserable to look at um goblin chain world or definitely proving how good he is but is it like is he really amazing or was he just good against the metagame that showed up at the pro tour uh you know that's always a tricky question to ask um your best answer to that is to listen to the guys on star city and channel fireball on monday morning you know what is it monday morning quarterbacks or whatever and find out what uh what their take on it to get a feel for if it was a flash in the pan or not. I am inclined to say that Goblin Chain Roller is not a flash in the pan, that it's a really powerful card. Probably not. What is it? 28 copies or some nonsense in the top eight. Uh, good, but still very good. Um, I think really the, the, the major takeaway, uh, the other thing I want to point out here too is uh, we know that Channel Fireball showed up with that blue-green Karn deck. <clears throat> was probably yep. the most interesting thing outside of like the top eight being just mono red. Uh, and that bombed, which to me says Karn is good, but Karn is not necessarily enough to carry even a bad deck, right? Like even if your deck is kind of mediocre, Karn's not going to get you there. He's not necessarily good enough. So uh, definitely a limit to that card's power. 
Um, you know, so keep that in mind. And then the interview, basically what they said was what they were trying to achieve was to maximize the size of the constructs that Karn gets, because if you can get like three threes or greater, Mm -hmm. then you're really pushing the the value of the minus two. Um, But here's one of the things that often happens at the pro tour is that the players that make top eight, right? They had to play two drafts, six matches total, and then they played um, 10 rounds of standard five on each day. And so sometimes you have guys that make the top eight because they did really spectacularly in draft. They did five, one or six, Oh, in their draft pods. Um, and then they did pretty good. Like maybe I think maybe minimum is six and three in that case. If you're five and one sound about right. No, you probably have to do at least seven and two. So like you might've been seven and two, five, one or something. And then you're 11 and three to make top eight. Um, but often, sometimes you can see some really great deck lists in the eight, one, one, nine, one, some, you know, occasionally a 10, Oh, um, in the standard portion isolated from the drafts that are different from what showed up in the top eight, but not this time. All the red, black decks and red decks <laughs> that made top eight are the ones that you see in the 27 point bracket and, and shortly below. So we have like Matt Severa ran red, black aggro to a nine and one Owen Turtenwald who made top eight was eight Oh two. In the standard portion, didn't drop a didn't drop a match. Um, Marcio Carvalho um, eight one and one with red black aggro. I think he also made top eight. Mono red aggro in the hands of Manuel Lenz, um, and then Pinto Gonzalo. I want to say red black aggro. He was the second place finisher. So the same red decks that made top eight are the ones that dominated standard. So there's no surprise like uh, standouts there. There was an Esper deck, I believe, that went. Uh, no, white blue Teferi deck in the hands of Thomas Envoldson. Um, this is the one running four copies of Teferi Hero of Dominaria that I suspect will be further tuned as the meta develops. And there was also Guillaume Matignon running uh, Esper Control um, with four Torrential Gear Hulk and three Teferi. So it's not like Control is completely out of the format. There was also a white black uh, History of Benalia deck. Um, and Steel Leaf Stompy builds that were just like a couple matches off top tier that might still have major roles to play in the format. But when are the pros going to realize the red deck wins? Well, what's really kind of surprising is that, you know, the red always has a great pro tour in the fall because nobody's figured out what's good yet. And if you can just show up and zap everyone in the face with uh, lightning bolts or whatever the closest approximation is, it's pretty well positioned. But like this is the spring one. This is not supposed to be the red dominates pro tour. This is supposed to be the there's too many other tools in the format for bad lightning bolts to keep up. So. I mean, it almost just tells me that Red is overtuned in Amonkhet and Kaladesh. What also calls into question the value of delaying the Pro Tour, right? The whole idea of having it like six weeks after set release was that the format does not get settled right up front. So players have, you know, buy their singles and build their decks and play into a more diverse meta that isn't pro-defined. Um, but the pros ended up playing decks that had already emerged from that, that version of the format. The one team that we mentioned that tried to play blue green with Karn didn't get where they wanted to go. I mean, they must've done better in testing though, for the, you know, the level of talent to have backed that deck. Um, And one tournament does not make a format, but we'll have to see how the GP in Europe goes next week and see, um, you know, whether chain whirler is as dominant there as it was. this Yeah, I guess, 
if if it is, that will be telling because of course standard is basically dead at this point um, unless you're showing up to F and M. So uh, it's not going to make any of us any money for the most part, at least not in its current form. Watching for it at the Grand Prix will tell us: this, can can Goblin Chain Roller keep going? Right? Is it good enough that even as in a very obvious known quantity, it still is doing well in the format? And if it is. Uh, that is going to bode very well for it in the fall, which means that in like mid-August, when nobody cares about standard anymore and the prices dropped on the card, uh, it would be a good time to buy in on it. But And if it doesn't do great at the GP, then like maybe it was a little flash in the panty uh, and you know we can find other cards to sink our standard bucks into if we go that route. Karn's so great that <laughs> if it falls out of favor in the standard meta and gets low, that's that's much more exciting than Mox Amber. Well, sure, sure. I mean, Karn is if at any point Karn is under what fifteen dollars, you buy him. Like it just seems. I, I think I buy Karn under twenty five confidently. The um, the cards to watch that I posted in my Pro Tour preview article on on Friday. Um, I always post the current price, the odds to top eight, and what I think the Monday price is likely to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get these numbers. And th- this explains why I didn't do round-to-round coverage for the rest of the weekend. Karn Sayanaversa, current price 50. Monday price, 50. <laughs> Teferi, Teferi Hero of Dominaria, current price 35. Monday price, 35. Goblin Chain Whirler, current price 4. Monday price, 5. That one I'm a little low because um, it looks like it's going to post up to maybe 7 or 8. But I suspect that it's, it's going to get... It, because it's a rare, not a mythic, it's going to be under significant pressure from additional supply entering the marketplace. And there's no way I want to be holding a bunch of things I bought at five, trying to enter the race to the bottom that you start at $9.99, then you put it at $8.99, then you put it at $7.99, and then you're posting $30 play sets and wondering why you wasted your time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you know, part of it too is probably that there's a lot of uh, faith in Karn being a really good deck. A really good card, so it's not it's it's not going to flinch in the face of like one event that, that might not have gone as well for him, just because like people are like, oh yeah, Karn got smashed this event, but who cares? It doesn't mean Karn's bad. Yeah, um, I called Lyra in that article as a sell, and when I went to look at it today, it's down as low as thirteen dollars on TCG Player from twenty last week. So people have have definitely realized that it is. Is not an auto four of in the format and may not have a rule to play for some time. Although I could easily see looking at this card, if it gets under 10 as something that might pop at rotation, because I have trouble believing Baneslayer stays out of the mix for its entire duration. Yeah. I'd, I, I would argue it's not Baneslayer, but I mean, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, I'm looking through the high point decks here. I do see some, some blue white control and some Esper control. So people definitely think, that uh, that that strategy is still good and seems to be holding on. Um, browsing through it right now, I'm trying to keep an eye out for what would stick around after rotation. I mean, like Fumigates and Torrential Gearhulks are obviously not hanging around. Search for Conta is. Uh, the Spell Suite is, I mean, Settle the Wreckage, I guess. But other than that, it's all commons and uncommons. It's actually uh, not a very heavy, rare, and mythic strategy. But if we get anything like a... Uh, Sphinx's Revelation or whatever a a really powerful blue or blue white mythic finisher for control. I think that'll be well positioned in the fall. Well, one of the things you probably probably want to check is which five guilds we're getting on Ravnica in the first set. 
um, and whether Azorius and Demir are included, right? Yeah, they switched it up. It's a little different than it was. Uh, it's not the same pattern of return as Return the Ravnica. But I don't remember what the uh, change return- was. I, I just went to Google and I was about to type return to return to Ravnica. <laughs> <laughs> what What's the actual name of that set? I have no idea. Do we not know yet? I really don't know. No, no, we do. I just don't know what it is. Is it Ravnica something about the guilds? Uh, maybe. Like, I'm never not going to call it return to return to Ravnica. So, like, <laughs> I have no reason to look it up because it's... It's a marketing. It's a marketing fail that I don't know the actual name, but I have have totally latched on to return to return yeah. to. It was they, they they did that to themselves. They they set that up. Let's see, new Ravnica set. That'll find it. Spring announcement day. Guilds of Ravnica releases October fifth, twenty eighteen, featuring Celestia, Boros, Golgari, Izzet, and Demir. So no white blue Demir then in 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 the fall. So you're much more likely to get reinforcement on the blue black control decks than the white blue mm. ones in standard. Okay. So we'd have to go back and look at the like the Esper ones. What did Black have? I guess I mean were they just Esper for Scarab God? Scarab God? No, no duress. It'll push Vraska's Contempt. Vraska's Contempt is probably yeah. going to be in real good position because uh, you're losing Fatal Push too. Um, so Vraska's Contempt is going to be oh, yeah. uh, is going to be real good, I think, come October, depending on what gets printed. If we don't get another Hero's Downfall, uh, and that is yeah. oh God, Vraska's Contempt is thirteen dollars. So like, I that would really have to come down in order for that to be viable. Yeah, and it's unlikely given how useful it is at a format that seems to be all about the Planeswalkers and loves to get a little bit of incidental light life gain while it's trying to stabilize the board. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, if it got to six, that's probably a good buy, but I, I don't know. That's I don't know if you'll see it that low. That's the problem. If, if you're smart enough to pre-order some of, some of those standard cards that eventually pop, um, you're usually in pretty good shape, but I don't like chasing them after the fact, given all the other good options we have. No, no. I, in general, I think you're better off going after the cards that might have fallen. As far as standard goes, if you're going to go for stuff, try and find the stuff that looked really good and then fell out of favor for metagame reasons, but was clearly a powerful card uh, that then comes roaring back in the next uh, rotation because now it's got room in the metagame. Um, those are your best bets because the card is basically proven and now you're just getting it on the second like uh what's if aether works marvel basically so a couple things another thing i wanted to point out was the buy list situation for cards from kaladesh block um that are prominent in standard given the resurgence of popularity in the format this spring at least leading up to this weekend um has been much kinder than it usually would in prior last few years it's been really hard to unload the the rotating stuff anywhere past like early spring but here we are early june and you can still sell walking ballistas to card kingdom for 1625 in credit holy moly 1625 yep for a fall for a for a winter set rare that's uh wild yeah so i think that that's a definite sell <laughs> in case that wasn't clear because those are going to fall down to like five dollars after rotation yes it's a multi-format all-star but there's a ton of standard copies that will re-enter the market. Foils, on the other hand, are probably a hold um, because it's multi-format all-star. Um, they might suffer a bit, but they will recover and and be ascendant long before you see a reprint on this card. Yeah, I can't believe they're paying that much on walking blisses. 
I mean, you're never going to get walking ballista in standard again. Like that, that'll take forever. So the it's a master set in like 2021 or something like that. Plenty of time for the foils to appreciate. Oh, for sure. I just can't believe that card's still that expensive. Damn. Yeah, that's that's that would be like a, a <laughs> the best sell call like an issue for the day. That's fair. Fair. Um. All right. So anything else to pro tour that caught your eye? No. Sadly, I, I'm actually curious. Final point of the day: Do you think are you interested in a pro tour that expands on the formats and just make every pro tour um, draft standard modern showcase the three most important competitive formats all at once every time? Yeah, I saw you you mentioned something about that on uh, on Twitter. Um, I think it's an interesting idea. Uh, I don't know exactly how I feel about it. I'd have to kind of consider it some more. My gut reaction is that part of the reason that players tune into the format is because they want to see what they can do, right? Like they're interested in... They are interested in applying what they see at the Pro Tour at their local card store. So if they're watching the Pro Tour and it's split like 4-4-4-4, like, you know, draft standard, modern, whatever, uh, I don't know, brawl, I don't know if that's invaluable enough to them. If they're like, oh, well, like, I can't trust, I don't know if any of these single deck lists are good enough because even though he 4 out standard, he, you know, does that make the deck good? I don't know. It seems like that's what players want. Uh, so yeah, I, I think the addition of drafting, the addition of drafting was was excellent because it, people love to watch people draft, and we got to watch like Finkel and I can't remember uh, LSV and Finkel were the first two drafts they filmed. I mean, that's slam dunk magic content. Well, see, um, it's, it's funny that you say that. People love to watch them draft, but I don't think anyone loves to watch them play. Yeah, watching okay. watching draft games is you have to be a real fan of magic to watch them play those games. It's like kind of like you really have to love basketball. God, I feel like this is actually, and you know, I'm not going to finish that thought. Uh, that is tough. <laughs> that is tough for people to watch. I think for the most part, they love to watch drafts, but they don't want to watch them play the games. The thing I find is that I, it's harder. We're, we're at, we're in a point in society where we're looking for very small digestible pieces of content and to really plug into a limited board state, you have to give it a few minutes of your attention, like focus. It's a, a draft is is easier to connect to because you get to play that little game of what would I have done differently? Like what what's my pick in this pack? And then you find out what their pick is. Yeah. And that's both helpful as a learning experience and it's a fun little game you're playing. Like it's a sub game in Magic. One of the most interesting things that's ever come out of Magic is draft. And it's interesting to realize that the history of Magic could easily be absent drafting completely. It's totally possible there was a version of Magic's history where that never became a thing. Because it is a little weird, right? Like you're popping the packs, passing them around, taking a card on the fly. Like that's that that's not automatic. Um, it might seem that way in retrospect, but it definitely was not. Um, but I think there's a lot of benefit to making sure that one format doesn't submarine the weekend. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for if there's only four major pro tours a year and then the world championships, making them the place where you format where you showcase all your most important formats consistently so that it's like, if you, you can make it to the pro tour in a number of ways, but once you make it there, you've got to be good at all the, the major formats and you got to do it every time helps build towards a hall of fame. That's full of people that are great at everything. Um, and I'm much less interested in this like team trios with legacy later this summer at the next pro tour. 
that's a mix of standard, modern, and legacy than I would be in, say, draft standard on day one, cut to day two. If you make it into day two, you play modern, you, do, you draft again, then play modern. And then in the top eight, you go back to standard or something. Um, that's interesting. Now, whether that's an undue burden on the pros, I don't think we have good, like, good visibility on. Um, expecting them to test two formats is already a lot, given that these guys like can't. Most of these people can't do this as a as a day job. They have to like take off vacation time to get, like go to a house a week in advance with their with their teams and try to like pull the whole thing together. So if they go to three formats, then is it just like too much? But I just worry that like the the pro tour is already less relevant than the the combination of YouTube streamers, for instance, and Twitch streamers, and. You know, it, it runs the risk of feeling irrelevant if it keeps, um, if it weighs down on formats whenever we don't get a diverse top eight. And I think that's like, for instance, what we're going to see out of this weekend is that standard is going to lose some momentum because people are going to feel like, well, red decks are the best decks. And if I don't play red, I can't get anywhere. So maybe that like injures FNM performance for the next month unless the GPs show a different story. Yeah, I mean, that's tough to say. Uh, like, we don't have that data. Wizards does about, like, how much people play after what's considered a good Pro Tour versus a bad Pro Tour. Um, you know, whether anyone cares necessarily. Because the guys who want to show up to FNM and play Standard are probably going to do that even if the Pro Tour was all red because they're just going to put a bunch of life gain cards in their sideboard and move on with their lives. Um you know, you could almost think like maybe the Pro Tour as a whole needs to be re-envisioned even more aggressively than that. Like maybe it's a celebration of content creators, right? Like maybe that's more of the angle than uh, than a really competitive nature event because obviously these like content creators who are, you know, the EDH streams and all that stuff is what people really uh, has really been selling the brand lately, it seems like at least domestically. So you could go in that direction too, but like players are still going to want to see some competitive atmosphere. So like you got to satiate that somehow. Uh, and at the same time, like having the split format is interesting, but like you said, has the problem of there's no way John Finkel, who has a job that pays him seven figures, uh, it is, it's worth having like three weeks off to try and test standard modern and legacy. You know, they right. have moved towards like building teams for this. Uh, maybe they have to push harder down that road and say, okay, uh, nowadays it's like invite only or something like that. Um, or there's, you know, there's, you have to qualify with your team and your team has a legacy player, a standard player and a modern player. Uh, and well, keep in mind, I don't want, I definitely don't want legacy. I want draft standard. Modern. Sorry. Yes. Your, your team is three players, standard, modern draft. Uh, and then your team shows up, your team has to qualify, and then your team comes to the Pro Tour. So you can specialize in a format. So it only takes, it doesn't take you forever to practice. Uh, it doesn't take you a month of testing all three formats. Like each of you can be doing that concurrently. It gives them that team nature that you're seeing with esports all over the place. You know, even individual players in esports play on teams and like people pay attention to teams type of thing. Um, and a lot of the most popular games online right now for competitive nature are all team based, right? For the most part, like uh, the competitive esports scene is, you know, Overwatch and PUBG and, and Fortnite tend to be very team oriented. So maybe that's the angle they have to go. And then that way they can kind of get more formats. It's there's more going on. You can track teams and personalities. That, that could be it too. But I, I, I ultimately the, the, your, your, uh, 
uh, shoot, I, can, I hate it when I forget the terms. Your the your starting position of your argument here that uh, a boring pro- my thesis, yeah, your thesis. There's another your predicate, I guess. Uh, that the a, a bad pro tour, like a quote unquote bad pro tour, like we just got, is bad for standard attendance. Uh, we don't actually know, right? Like we don't know. Maybe it's not, and all of this I'm, is a moot point. But true. Uh, yeah, we don't we don't know that for a fact, but we could probably get it pretty easily by just asking some LGS contacts to take a look at do a little spreadsheet of pro tours that were diverse versus not diverse and what attendance looked like in the week in the couple of weeks after uh, and triangulate against time of year, I guess, is the tricky part there. Um, and you get some sense of it. But yeah, I mean, we don't know for sure. I just I. I I think everybody can agree that the pro tours ability to sell the game and the experience is suboptimal that they are trying and nobody has an easy answer as to what the fix is. But I think everybody knows that there is definitely ground to be gained. Yeah. Yeah. And and I agree. Like you could figure it out, but it would require a lot of data grinding that we don't probably don't have right now because it's not like stores. I would expect kept all that data. Uh, so you wouldn't really know, right? You'd have to like start that kind of recently and it'd take you some time to figure out. Wizards might know. Uh, but again, we're not getting that information. Well, I guess this All is right. our impromptu topic of the week, uh, how to fix the Pro Tour. Uh, the answer is Ban <laughs> Mountains. Yeah. It- uh, it's it's Firely Sharp in all of his stupid decks. <laughs> all right. So I guess that's a wrap for this week. Where can people find you online, Travis? <clears throat> I am on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I am an MTG price uh, every Monday with the Watchtower series. And I'm also on the webcast, Cartel Aristocrats. And how about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. And I recently launched a little uh, online shop for Travis and I and other friends in the community to sell some cool magic cards to you guys. It's called MagicCards.shop. So take a look at that. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. That brings us to the end of episode 121. Uh, I enjoyed our cast. Uh, keep an eye out for my cards on your magiccards.shop. They'll be much more expensive than on TCG Player, but you will all pay it because you like me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, other than that, I will uh, I will see you next week, James. Yeah, I, I think the plan is actually that we're going to have pretty solid deals, but you guys have to check it out for yourselves. Thank you, Travis. And we'll see everybody again next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.